We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Bears fans? Sports betting season is in full force right now, especially with the NFL playoffs officially underway. And that means you need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for nearly three decades, thriving and paying you the loyal customer. What's great about BetUS is they have loads of bonuses. So join now at BetUS.com today and receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using code CHICAGO125. BetUS has all your NFL games with team and player props and loads of NFL futures and odds. Plus, BetUS gives you plenty of options in addition to the NFL. You can bet on UFC matches, the NBA, and more. So follow my lead and get your phone online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. Cash in on your 125% sign-up bonus at BetUS.com today with our code CHICAGO125. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up-to-date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. What's going on, Bears fans, and welcome to another episode of the Chicago Audible Podcast. I'm your host for tonight's show, Nicholas Moriano, and I'm joined by the one and only Mason West. Mason, we are now a week from doing our first show on the carousel of head coach and general manager candidates, and we're kind of not in the same boat, but we're still wondering who the heck's going to be this head coach, GM. For you personally, how are you taking this whole entire, maybe it's an experience, this roller coaster ride? How are you kind of taking it? It's tough because I'm not a patient person whatsoever. Like, I'm the one that when I see something I really want to, like, buy for my workouts or something like that, I say, I'm going to do, like, I'm going to save up. It's going to be great. And then all of a sudden, the next day, I've already bought it. And it's, like, a big problem in, their, in our household. And it's the same thing here. <laughs> like, I'm just, I want this to be done. I want to move forward. But you have to be careful what you ask for. Because if you go back and look at, for example, the Ryan Pace saga in terms of how he was hired and the John and John Fox, et cetera, you know, there was a issue where a lot of people were concerned that they didn't do it right. It was too fast. 
And if you look at it, that was 10 days. On day 10, when they started the searches was when Ryan Pace was hired. Today, actually, I believe is day 10 in terms of when all of this started. So if, to, if 10 days and a Ryan Pace and a Ballard and I think maybe one other GM interview were too quick, you can't you can't have it both ways, right? I mean, this is, again, it's the same timeline right now. I know it seems like a little bit funky and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but, you know, patience, we got to be patient. No other hirings have been made. There are plenty of fish in the sea, all of those things. And I have, I'm saying this more for myself, I feel like, even than the podcast, because I got to calm myself down. No, I completely get you that whole, I, look, I'm not a patient person either. I do the exact same thing. My girlfriend at times has like had something that she wanted to get me for, you know, my birthday or Christmas. And I just go out there and buy it. I'm like, I've been eyeing this thing. Let me get it. And I'm almost getting to that point with these, you know, the GM and head coach. But I don't want the Bears. And Bears fans obviously don't want this as well for the Bears to kind of make that mistake again. It was two days after the wild card game. The Bears had hired Matt Nagy, right? Like, so after they had lost the Chiefs-Titans game, interview him. And then, you know, Matt Nagy was the head coach of the bears and they announced that. So they obviously were very quick in that process. And at the time, like I, there was a uh, picture circulating from the bears website from what, 2018 with all these quotes of how, how regarded, well-regarded Matt Nagy was. And, you know, at the time, maybe that was the case, but you just need to do your due diligence, giving all these candidates their, you know, at least an, an interview, but, as I'm going to, we're going to run down who they've interviewed and some are not announced as we can kind of see, but it's going to be kind of tough to do all that because I know, like you, you said earlier, Mason, no one's made a hire yet, but the Giants seem like they may be almost leaning in that direction. I don't think anybody's scheduled to interview for the Vikings um, head coach or general manager as of right now. I think they've concluded their interviews or nothing else has been announced. So not that they have to have this sense of urgency because of what other teams are doing, but the clock is ticking. They need to kind of, ex I, I don't know if it's accelerate the process, but you have to be time efficient, right? Because if you're not and you have a candidate and so are these other teams that are looking to fill these jobs, hey, and, and they're quicker in the process, that, that guy could be gone. But maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit here. Um, to quickly recap, obviously we did a podcast last week. And we, there was a list of head coaches and general managers that we recapped, did a really thorough deep dive into each person, why we liked particular guys. So if you haven't checked that out, please go do so. Now this one, um, just kind of recapping, I'm on the Bears website, just going to who the Bears have actually interviewed up at this point. So Wednesday, January 12th, it was Glenn Cook, uh, GM, and then Doug Peterson. So that was on Wednesday, January 12th. The next day. The 13th was Quesi Adolfo Mensa and then Champ Kelly. Friday, January 14th, you had Jeff Ireland and Brian Flores. Saturday, the 15th was Monty Ford, Jim Caldwell, and Nathaniel Hackett. And then we have Sunday, which would be January 16th, you had Joe Shane and Brian Dable, who a lot of people, obviously, that's like, you know, that's the one I feel like a lot of people are interested in. And we'll see the Giants are clearly interested in them as well. The 17th, we had Ed Dodds, who withdrew his name, as everybody knows, and Matt Eberflus, who we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit here. Tuesday, January 18th, was Elliot Wolf, And then just yesterday, January 19th, 
we have Ran Katharn um, from the 49ers. And then Will, uh, Will, uh, Mason, I'm blinking on the uh, the one that was not announced by the Bears, but is, I guess, has interviewed. Uh, what is it, Joe? Or, uh, Woody? Joe Woody? Is that correct? So we also have uh, another one that, again, um, even Adam Johns from The Athletic kind of tweeted this out, that the Bears are probably not disclosing all this information. And, you know, I don't know if that's nece- if it's mandatory that they have to, but I know some of these guys don't even have agents, so it's just not as big. But so that could definitely be the case as well. So those are the people they have interviewed. We just don't know if there's been anybody else. So that's kind of the the situation the Bears are in right now. Um, so I guess real quickly, Mason, I'll, I'll kind of hash out who else they've added um, kind of sense or who else is on this list now. So obviously I said um, from that last podcast, Jim Caldwell was not on that list. And now, obviously, I said they, they had interviewed him. Um, other general managers, we just talked about JoJo Wooden, the Chargers Director of Player Personnel. Um, quick little recap, and this is from um, The Athletic. Oh, excuse me. Um, just a story from The Athletic. Um, Mike Sando, great reporter. The Bears, Giants, and Vikings are looking for new GMs. Here are 46 names already in the pipeline. Definitely go check that out because there's a great list of, of names on there. But JoJo Wooden is a guy that um, – has been announced, but um, not from the Bears. Um, played linebacker at Syracuse, spent all 16 seasons with the Jets personnel department. He interviewed for Washington's GM job in 2021. You also have Monty Austinfort, who I mentioned earlier. Reggie McKenzie is another guy that was added, Dolphins senior personal executive. And then Ryan Poles, the chief executive director of player personnel. I believe that's all the new people. Um, that have been added to this long and everlasting list, Mason, is like, again, out of all these new people or just anything that we didn't talk about in the last podcast, any of these guys intriguing to you? Any guy, guys that kind of catch your attention? Only really one name that you've mentioned. Uh, like Jim Caldwell, it's kind of the Leslie Frazier thing too, where it's like, I've seen that. Yeah. I saw that story. We saw it twice a year. It was okay. It wasn't great. You know, and that's when he had a young Stafford. He had a Calvin Johnson, a Megatron, and they still weren't very good, that Lions team. Uh, he'd be fine as, like, I could see him maybe as being offensive coordinator. I could be okay with that. I could get behind that, but I, I don't want him as the head coach. Just no need for that kind of that kind of a retread. Um, you know, I don't know as much about some of these newer names. I'm still wrapping my, my head around a lot of them, but the one that is really interesting to me is Monty Austinfort. Because uh, Cliff actually just said this in the chat. He is flying under the radar. And that's because the Titans as a whole have continued to fly under the radar. Yeah. They're a team that just locked in the one seed, right? We'll be playing now this this upcoming weekend without their best player. With Ryan Tannehill playing very average, if not arguably below average ball. Uh, with a head coach that a lot of people just kind of laughed at when they he first got hired. Like Vrabel was... This, oh, you're hiring Vrabel? It's you're supposed to be Belichick? Like, Vrabel's really put his identity on the team. And Austin Force helped, been a part of, you know, adding the players that are part of that identity. Uh, and it's just this very, very consistent, very solid. So, you know, having all that there is really intriguing. You know, some of the other ones, Reggie McKenzie, you know, he's been around. He's definitely has been a part of some pretty solid teams when you've seen what he's done there. But, uh, you know, some of these names too might be not necessarily, Hey, we're actually interviewing you 
for the role as much as finding out information about other other people. So like, for example, like a Reggie McKenzie, I connected a little more to when we were talking about Brian Flores, because, you know, they they know each other, obviously have worked together. I thought it was a little bit more of that, honestly, than true interest in Reggie McKenzie as a role. And there's a couple other situations like that, too. So the, the Bears are just so secretive <laughs> with, with, with what's going on here um, and who they're interviewing. Like you said, Nick, uh, most of the time that information initially is getting out is through agents. So if the person doesn't have an agent, they're not going to let that get out. Um, if in if they don't have an agent, the Bears may never report it. There's maybe not a need. So a name that we talked about last week, I believe it was third on your list, was Rick Smith. We haven't heard anything from him. And it's, it's has he not interviewed? Has he interviewed and no one said anything because he hasn't necessarily been in the NFL in that full capacity. So there just isn't a need to report it because there's no rules with that part. There's a lot of things up in the air that we just really don't know right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, again, we may never get clarification as to those, those questions that we do have. And yeah, Austin Fort is a guy just to kind of add on to that out of those names that were added that we didn't talk about uh, initially. Like he does have four Super Bowl rings. And again, 17 winning record uh winning records 15 of those seasons were in new england so it helps when you have the goat tom brady who we're going to see obviously this weekend play and two are obviously with the tennessee titans um but he did interview for the browns gm job in 2020 the panthers job in 2021 and the patriots actually denied him to interview for the houston job back in 2018 so there's been i guess this um he's been coveted by other teams right and has had these interviews obviously hasn't um landed that gm job that he's kind of looking for still the the director of player personnel with the titans but you know you're coming from a winning organization with new england and you see what the tennessee titans have become and i think you said it beautifully mason like the tennessee they just go under the radar for some reason and they are the number one seed and i think even i kind of forget that at times but we'll see what they're really about um, you know, against the the Cincinnati Bengals, who look pretty good at, in their game uh, against the Raiders. But, yeah, I think that's kind of the main guy that uh, I was also looking for out of the names. But I think where we can take this now, Mason, is now this, this second interview. This is the first one that the Bears, again, have announced uh, that we know of at this point, which is Matt Eberflus, the defensive coordinator for the Indi- Indianapolis Colts. And he's scheduled to get that second interview on Monday alongside um morocco brown who you know that i forget when the initial interview was supposed to be for for brown but it seems it's been pushed back a bit yeah it's been a couple times i think the most recent one that was not announced by the bears but announced by other individuals was he was supposed to interview today and then now it is monday uh and who should say why that is i mean it could be everything from just scheduling conflicts on Brown's part, it could be that George McCaskey needed, you know, to go to the dentist today, so he couldn't make it. Okay. Uh, you just, you have no idea, but, you know, if you're following the breadcrumbs a little bit, there could be a little more to it. Exactly. There definitely could be uh, more to it. I think Monday could be a big day for the Bears. Like, again, we'll have to wait and see how those interviews go. We'll never know the actual details of that, but we'll, we'll see uh, if there's anything that becomes conclusive as of Monday. But I just wanted to give Bears fans a little bit more background on Eberflus because I think there maybe is – he look, he's a defensive guy. And I think that automatically puts a little stain on how people can view him. Um, he's also a bit of a hard ass is like the best way I can describe this. 
and just kind of do, doing some research and reading some stories about him, um, he gets his mindset. And I'll kind of give you some quotes here from uh, a story that was written by the athletic Zach Kiefer. It's called Matt Eberflus bet on himself, then became one of the NFL's best coordinators. So there's a quote from Eberflus's dad, Stan, uh, don't ever disrespect the game. And this is when he's going up an eight-year-old kid um, just playing football, you have to hustle. You have to play as hard as you can every single snap. And that mentality, that quote is literally how Matt Eberflus kind of orchestrates his coaching mentality and how he kind of approaches things. Um, so what he kind of does, it's like if um, there are players that are not, you know, running, I would say, giving their full effort, um, if they're not just hustling, this is what Matt kind of said to, to that. There's a standard that the Colts have set. And here's a quote. It's not for everybody because everybody doesn't want to put out the effort it takes to play in his system, Eberflus said. But that's okay. They can go play somewhere else. So, again, a little bit of this is my way of doing things. If you don't do it this way, you're not going to be a part of this team. And he doesn't really care about what, you know, who, what kind of player you are. And I found it really interesting, Mason, because there are consequences if you don't use your full effort with Eberflus. Um, it's more than just, and this is, uh, again, taken from the story, it's more than just Eberflus's weekly loafs total. So basically, if somebody's slacking off or not putting that effort in, he tallies them up and will dock players for less than maximum effort. If a player coasts, as it says, he sits. If he doesn't bring it in practice, he doesn't see snaps on Sunday. So, I mean, this is a guy that, like I said, a hard ass. And if you don't fit his way, you're not going to see snaps on Sunday. And I don't know, for people who are listening to this and kind of hearing this for the first time, I wonder how you view that. And Mason, I don't know if you knew that about Eberflus, but is that off-putting? Is that something that you kind of want to see in a head coach? Um, because it almost see, seems like, and there have been reports and things, how Ed Dodds was maybe a little stern in his ways and because whatever, however it may have went. But, you know, Matt Eberflus almost has that, uh, I don't know if it's an alpha mentality or just a very strict way of doing things. But what do you kind of make of that? I, for one, I think it matters. There's a little difference between GM and head coach. You know, GM yeah, yeah. does have to be a little bit kind of a, you know, someone of the people <laughs> you have to be able to connect to all your scouts. You have to connect to all your coaches and then to other organizations as well. Right. I mean, you have, you have to be able to pick up the phone and, you know, be able to chat with uh, another GM and actually, you know, Hey, let's, let's get this trade going. Let's, you know, let's set up these joint practices where the case may be. So uh, that can definitely rub people the wrong way in the GM position in terms of a head coach. I mean, I love it, but <laughs> to be fair, I also grew up playing football in a time period where, that was like the way you played football. Mm -hmm. It was just a much more like, Hey, rub some dirt on it and get up kind of a thing. And that's, but I think that works. Uh, especially if you hold people accountable and you show it yourself, right? If you are the coach that is going to, you know, run with your team, you're the coach that's going to get down and dirty with your team. And someone that, that reminds me of in terms of kind of that stern, don't, you know, you're not going to like take advantage of me or the situation or this opportunity you have is actually lovey Smith. You know, he was big on gang tackling. He was big on turnovers. He was big on you do your job, but he still was able to be approachable to his team. And that's what you hear from Iberflus as well. I mean, his players love him over there. Darius Leonard, who's an 
you know, all pro linebacker will would die for <laughs> for, for flus, as he would say. Um, you know, you always hear these little clips if you actually get a chance to look at uh, some YouTube stuff. You know, like I said, gain tackling, punch the ball. That reminds you of kind of what the Bears defense used to be. And so if you can bottle that and make it modern, if you can take that mentality and this is where the GM is going to come into play and have the player that fits, right? You can't get a player in there that doesn't want to be coached hard because that, because Iberflus is going to do that. He's going to coach you hard. He's going to hold you accountable. And like you said, if you don't, you're not going to play. So that's where that now we get back into GM head coach pairing. You got to have the right one because that, that GM is going to have to select players that fit that mold. Absolutely. I think Roquan Smith would love a guy like this because oh, he's yeah. talked about in press conferences like, hey, guys need to look at themselves in the mirror. Like, I think he said that multiple times throughout the season, especially after some of the defensive lapses. And, you know, just to see what, you know, Darius Leonard has done under Eberflus, I can't imagine what like a, a Roquan Smith, who's already in that realm of, of linebacker, Here's another, um, again, quick little anecdote from that story. And, again, go check it out. Zach Kiefer, Matt Eberflus, better on himself, then became one of the NFL's best coordinators. In the spring of 2018, during his first meeting as the Colts' new defensive coordinator, Eberflus told the players straight up, what you're about to do will be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. You'll practice harder than you've ever practiced. You play harder than you've ever played. After the season, the players agreed with what Iberflus was saying. So, hey, he's not going to – like you said, if the players don't have that mentality, don't have that effort, they won't play, and they'll know it right away. So that would be um, – you know, that would be interesting to cover if he ends up becoming the new uh, Bears head coach. And, again, he does have that second interview on Monday with Morocco Brown. Um, obviously, they know each other being from the Colts organization. But one to give a little – little more background on Eberflus and the Colts and kind of where the where the Bears can be potentially going. Um, maybe just to kind of actually stay within the realm of, of the Colts organization. Uh, Ed Dodds obviously withdrew his name from the GM search. And that was, I think initially for me, like that was my, that was my top guy. We did, if you listened to the first show last week, it's like, hey, number one, give me Ed Dodds. Ed Dodds withdrew his name. Crap. So um, I guess for you, Mason, um, and we don't know exactly why, but just uh, what were your initial thoughts? Because obviously we haven't talked about that um, since the last podcast. Yeah, I had I had Dodds kind of in my top five, depending on the day and maybe melding into my three. Because what I've consistently been hearing is that actually Dodds isn't the guy that you want out of there. It's Morocco Brown. Uh, that is the, the guy that you really want out of that Colts organization and would fit really well with the Bears mentality and what they're trying to do. Now, with Dodd specifically, he has withdrew his name before as well. I mean, it hasn't just been with the Bears. He's done it in past organizations. Um, you can hear, if you read The Athletic, if you hear any of their beat writers talk about it, they wondered if he really wants to be a GM. And they've even said, hey, we're going to, he's going to make sure that the fit is right if he goes that route. He's yeah. going to be picky over it. Um, and so a lot of times, maybe that's where that brashness that you referenced earlier comes off. It's like, Hey, I don't need this job. I'm good with where I'm at. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit, which a lot of people aren't going to like that. Now with him withdrawing his name too, a lot of times you see that when the person knows they're not really going to get a call back, right? It's like, I'm not going to break up with 
you know, you're not gonna break up with me. I'm gonna break up with you kind of a thing. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home, which could have happened here. Maybe he just wasn't feeling it either. You know, that's not anything detrimental against the bears. It's, it's just, it's not a fit. Let's move on. Cause at the end of the day, maybe the, the bears weren't feeling Dodds either. So, you know, they're again, like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, there are plenty of fish in the sea. We can't get hung up on a single person that has left people at the altar before. No, I, I agree with that. That's a, that's a good assessment there, Mason. You know, before, um, actually, do you have any kind of final thoughts before I'm going to give up? I don't, I, w- I don't want to say it's a hot take, but it's like I said, before we kind of went live here, Mason, it's, a, it's an educated and well thought out opinion that may not agree with what a lot of people are saying, but do you have anything else in terms of GM search or just coaches before we kind of get into that? I think, I think in general, what we're seeing right now, a lot of the initial candidates for head coach and GM, I don't think are going to actually be the ones that we hear ultimately announced as the, the head coach and GM. I think that there are some names of people who are either interviewing or in the process um, that are currently scheduled, or maybe some names that haven't even truly been mentioned and brought up yet that actually are more likely to to get that final final call. So some people that come to mind are, are Khan, all right, with the Steelers. I think he's someone that really could all of a sudden burst on the scene as, as an option. Uh, someone with the Ravens, Joe Hortiz, I'm sure I just butchered his name, is someone that you kind of hear in the background might be uh, might be an option. I know Adam Johns had mentioned him in their podcast. I think it was one or two ago. Um, head coach wise, it's it's a low hanging fruit. But until he's signed a contract in there, Jim Harbaugh is an option. Like he's absolutely in the running to potentially be I don't know the Bears head coach. So uh, until things are set, until we have some more concrete stuff, uh, I, I'm still letting I'm pull, I'm waiting. Because if you're going to line up a bunch of interviews and you know you're not making a decision until, let's say, day 15 for the sake of argument, are you going to interview someone that you're really, really high on day one or day 15? You'd think it'd be closer to the end because they're fresher in your mind and boom, you can go into interview number two. You don't have to go all the way back. Hey, hey, bud, remember we talked to you, you know, 11 days ago. Can you come back now? Like, I don't I don't see that happening. That's that just seems like they were trying to just go through and create the process and get some information. Okay. I like that. Um, yeah, definitely. The bears are keeping their options open. I think people should also keep their, their options open in terms of who's left on the list. Who's not on the list that could be already interviewed. So there's a lot going on, but I kind of want to get into, and we'll just, I guess we'll call it a hot take because this won't agree. Everyone's not going to agree with this. Mason, you had, you had Byron Leftwich right on in your top three. Is that correct? Um, where did he fall? Um, in yours exactly again. He was, it was Leftwich, Eberflus, Flores is number one. Okay. So Leftwich, number three on Mason's list. I, I have some, I think I'm a little bit more reserved with Leftwich. Right now, if he were to get the, the Bears offensive coordinator position, here's why. And I know people look at that, that offense that he, with the, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what they're doing with Tom Brady and all those weapons. And I asked the question after that game, after they're just spanking, uh, the Eagles, right? Um, how do you, how would you feel about the, whether it was Todd Bowles and the performance he did or Byron Leftwich? And a lot of people just brought up for Leftwich, and I guess you can put this into the consideration why. Like, 
look at all the weapons they have. Godwin, you have Evans, you have obviously Fortnite didn't play, but you have Brady the Goat, you have Arians and stuff like that. And like, okay, I get that. But that's actually not the main concern I have with Brian Byron Leftwich. So obviously it was a player and was a journeyman, right? We got drafted, what, number, I think it was number seven overall, first round draft pick by the Jaguars. Um, went 24 and 20 as a starter, was with the Falcons for a year. Pittsburgh Steelers, which is where he met Bruce Arians, um, was his OC there. Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2009, and then the Pittsburgh Steelers again. And that's all as a player, okay? And that's great. And we were before we went live, Mace, we were kind of talking about the Josh McCown news, and he's getting a head coaching job uh, or a, a, an interview with the Texans, and like, oh, he's got all these offenses. And you know what? For the most part, Byron Leftwich has kind of had that as a player. Now, here we go. As a coach, and where he got his first gig with the Arizona Cardinals in 2017, um, as a QB's coach, Arians, again, in 2017, right? And then 18 is that he's like the interim offensive coordinator, first year now with Arians as a coach. Obviously, this is only his second year coaching. As a rookie quarter, quarterback in um, blinking on Josh Rosen, and that was a kind of a crapshoot because, again, rookie quarterback, interim. Um, I think it was Steve Wilkes was uh, who I think promoted him there. So it just wasn't the best situation, and they won three games. So it didn't look very good. And then, obviously, goes back to Tampa Bay in 2019, and, of course, he's back with uh, Bruce Arians. And that's where my reserve or concern is with Byron Leftwich is that, for the most part, even in Pittsburgh as a player – He's, he's been with Arians. He's running that offense. And, he, you know, in 2019, Arians felt like for the first time ever, he can give someone else the responsibilities of calling plays. And he did it. He's done a great job so far. The only thing, and the only because of recency bias, I look at Matt Nagy, who just followed Andy Reid wherever he goes. And I'm not saying Matt Nagy and Byron, they're not the same, but they're kind of, it's almost like a similar kind of, I guess, background, right? You're following this, your mentor. But it's not to say that Byron Leftwich can't do it. Because there's, again, I have some anecdotes too from stories that I was reading from him. Has like this ultimate recall. I kind of want to share an anecdote from, I think this, this is Dan Pompey. And you got to read this story because it's awesome for Byron Leftwich. It's called Byron Leftwich has always been a coach. It just took him time to recognize it. There was this time, let's see if I can find it in here, where Dick LeBeau was the defense coordinator for the Steelers at the time. Here we go. In training camp practice in 2010, uh, defense coordinator Dick LeBeau, one of the foremost strategists of a generation, tried to confuse Leftwich with a blitz. Um, Let's see. It's like uh, all the offensive players and coaches were standing behind the line of scrimmage when Batch saw the offensive uh, formation. This is another quarterback at the time. He told the players around him the pressure would be coming from the quarterback's left. Leftwich, meanwhile, redirected the protection as if he anticipated the pressure coming from his right. Batch and the other players were convinced Leftwich had made a mistake then the pressure came from Leftwich's right and the blitzes were picked up um Tomlin Mike Tomlin had seen seen it the way that the other quarterback Batch did and Tomlin said did you mean to do that he's talking to Byron Leftwich and Leftwich with a slick grin yeah man don't question what the hell I do so obviously witty smart as hell and you know what maybe if he were to get the um head coaching job with the Bears he would still you know, succeed. But I just wanted to put that out there because it has been for the most part with Arians. And I, I haven't been looking at any other comments so far. I don't know if like I've been getting bashed. I'm like, 
I have another screen that's in front of me where I can't see it yet, but I just wanted to put that out there. It's not to say like if the Bears hire him, like, oh, like I'm down about it, but I think that's just something to consider. Short retort. One, how many games of play calling do we believe Matt Nagy had? He's, I know he took over, I think it was, I think the Jets game that year. So it was like six or seven, I believe. Not even. A, yeah, it was like a handful of games, right? Mm-hmm. And we know, a Bruce Air corner Bruce Arians, about how much his left witch had. So 29, so he's had three seasons worth. Three seasons worth, call. right? So one exponentially greater in terms of pros and cons there. Are, add in the fact, like you said, as a former quarterback in the modern NFL who played actual Matt Nagy played in the arena league. That doesn't count. I don't, I don't care. Um, and the story you just told, right. That's a coachable moment. Like that's a moment you would want in theory, your offensive minded head coach to pass along to your quarterback, to a Justin Fields. And, you know, if they're on top of that, that, I mean, Bruce Arians has said, and who knows, I mean, this could be him talking up his guys, but it doesn't seem that way. Arians doesn't seem like a guy who's going to, like a guy's going to lie to you about that. You know, this has been left, which is offense. Like he has said, I'm going to sit back and, and chill and I'm just going to coach the team. You're, you're in charge. So, but you could be absolutely right. I don't blame you for thinking what you just thought because you got some naggy taste left over in your mouth. A lot of us do, you know, it's just, and then you have to take it all into consideration. Yeah. Just, just, you know, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to say it. And it's not like, I'm not taking a firm stance and like, Hey, Byron Leffridge, don't, don't do it. Don't hire him. But that's just something to kind of think about. And a lot of, you know, you could do that with all these candidates. Like, have these guys been outside of the, the system that they're in? Have they done things elsewhere? Like, I didn't even mention, like, the negatives with Matt Eberflus. Like, uh, you know, being a defense guy, who's he bringing in as, like, the offensive coordinator? Is it going to be, Yeah. oh, man, why? Uh, Blink, Jason Garrett? I think that's the best guy that he's been around. It's like, my God, if that's, if that's the case, like, abandoned ship now. But... It's like there are these pros and cons with everybody. Like no one's a perfect, obviously, like hire because obviously you got to weigh these questions in there. But as I was kind of doing more research on guys and seeing, you know, who it could be, who 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 I like, that just I think that just kind of stuck with me because again I do have that bad taste of Matt Nagy because everyone said this is the home run hire. And I looked at those quotes from from the picture that was circulating on Twitter. It's like. And yeah, it was so far from it, but you know, and maybe that will be the case this time where all these quotes are coming out about Byron Leftwich. And he's, I think, you know, it's been a long time coming for him to finally land a head coaching job, but just want to, just want to make sure we cover all the grounds here um, before we, you know, just take off. I don't know if you felt this way, Nick, but I think in this coaching cycle, there are people I, I like, there are people that I think can do well. There, I don't know that there's necessarily that definitely one, if not maybe two guys where you're like, that's the guy. It's a lot of, and because of that, some of the people that might be better or fit the mold of who you think should be good, because we're still in this, you know, offensive mindset, at definitely as Bears fans, it definitely is the NFL, uh, where someone like a, and I don't have a problem with Dable whatsoever. Like, I think he's, he's probably my number four, just on the outside looking in, I think is what I said in the last podcast. But then you have the things like we talked about where it's like, well, what about all those other stops where he wasn't very good? Then he had to go back to Alabama. And so everyone's got their stuff. I don't know if you feel – I don't know if there's really like – I'm not confident in one, two guys. Like those those are the golden goose. Like you got to get those. 
And then if you can't, then you're in your tier twos, your tier threes. It's this amorphous blob of on a daily basis, almost, I feel like I could be like, this is my top three. Oh, no, this guy's out. This guy's in. Okay, nope, just kidding. I could talk myself into this one now. It's it's tougher. Uh, you know, I'm kind of in, you know, somewhat in that boat. I feel like for me, like, I think what Dable could do with Justin Fields, and I weigh, like, all the other stops that he had, even though there wasn't maybe a lot of success when he was the offensive coordinator in Cleveland or trying to uh, – Obviously, he was at Alabama where he did get, you know, good um, good usage out of Tua there. But, yeah, I think for me, there's like – I I like Dable. I think Iberflus would be a good head coach. I'm just – I don't know yeah. where the where the offensive coordinators come from. And, you know, maybe there's connections elsewhere. But, um, yeah, so – I and I feel – look, I guess there are guys that I don't want, like the Leslie Frazier. Like, for me personally – and you know what? He's probably learned – from the first go around, right? So that's a, that's a plus too. Like, here's a plus. We're going again, plus and cons. I'm going on a tangent here about what this podcast is scheduled for. But Brian Dable obviously hasn't been a guy other than the offensive coordinator, and now he have to take on a head coaching role, a duties, right? We don't know how he's going to handle that. We saw how Matt Nagy couldn't couldn't kind of differentiate himself from what is what he needed to do in both those roles. Uh, Leslie Frazier, on the other hand, has had that opportunity didn't it didn't work out in minnesota right and we we were accustomed to seeing that as the bears have played the vikings twice a year so we knew how that went but now has he learned from that can he now you know build off of what he learned but also bring in another defensive coordinator to maybe run his deep like who knows so a lot of things to just think about and man i've just let's get this ball rolling let's hire these guys so we don't have to talk about all these you know speculative things and rumors and things like that. I just kind of want to get this process rolling. But again, going back to the top, we're not patient people, but we kind of have to be at this moment. So <laughs> um, Mason, before we go and, you know, kind of give our end of the year bears awards, which is also on this podcast on top of the head coach GM stuff, anything else you kind of want to hit on before we get to that portion of the show? You briefly mentioned it. And I think we talked about it in the green room before this. I feel we have to bring it up because I just think it's, funny and interesting is the Josh McCown interview for the Texans. And he had one last year, I believe uh, interview as well for head coach. And we were joking about it. Like, Oh, Josh McCown. And then as we were joking, I was kind of like, is it a bad idea? Like if you think about it and you with most, pretty much all these people, you always want them to move up in the system, right? You, they started something and eventually become an offense coordinator, defense coordinator. Uh, and then they can move on to you know, the head coach position. But what is required of a head coach? And, you know, I brought up the example of John Harbaugh. He's a special teams guy. I mean, like he does nothing with the offense or defense. And arguably, I don't really, I mean, I don't think he's sitting there doing special teams planning. Could you have a guy like Josh McCown who has literally been on, it seems like the, the entirety of the league. He's been on every team. He has all of the connections in the world. He's worked with these coordinators and that coordinator, this player and that player. What if he's just a, what if he's just a leader of men? Locker rooms have loved him. That's why he's been there. He was essentially a coach in the locker room for a lot of guys. I mean, we saw that in Chicago. You saw that on the Jets and all these other uh, – the Browns, and he's able to step in and play. What, what if what if Josh McCown's actually a solid head coach? Like, I, I could talk myself into it. I mean, I don't want him for the Bears. I, I want him on another team, and I want to see how it turns out. But I, I think it's – I just think it's an interesting conversation. 
It is an interesting. This is all interesting. It can all be just a way. Like we can do all this research on these coaches too. Like, hey, they didn't hire that guy up. You know, like all my Ed Dodds <laughs> notes are now useless, which kind of suck. But um, yeah, it's an interesting, and that's why you know the NFL. Even though the Bears season ended, like there's so much to talk about, and that's what's so great about the NFL. It's a it's a year round sport, and that's why you know we love talking about it. That's why we're so consumed with it, and that's why it's amazing. But all right, guys, we're going to get into the second portion of our show. But before we get there, I have to tell you about Owen, which stands for Only What You Need. As you guys know, Owen and the Chicago Audible have partnered up, and you can get 20% off your first purchase at liveowen.com with the code TCA20. So definitely go check that out. They have a bunch of great products. But now I have to tell you about this awesome contest. Owen right now is giving you the opportunity to win an autograph. Justin Fields jersey and cleats and one grand prizer will win both those awesome items and two second prize winners will get a signed official football and four third prize winners will get an autographed jersey and these are awesome prizes and you're wondering how can I get in on this all you have to do and it's on here for the people that are watching so I don't know if you can you know just copy and paste this but you can go to Live Owen, O-W-Y-N dot com, dot com forward slash Justin Fields forward slash. And one more time, that's liveowen.com forward slash Justin Fields forward slash. So all you got to do is type your first name in and an email and you're entered. It's that simple. There's no paying or anything like that. But you'll also be on the website so you can browse around and see all of Owen's great products. So Make sure to go do that, you guys. Go to liveowen.com forward slash Justin Fields forward slash. Tell your family members, tell your grandmother, tell your girlfriend, tell your boyfriend, to tell whoever you want. Maybe get some extra entries in there for you, and maybe you'll you'll win one of these great prizes. So one last time, and for the people watching, it's liveowen.com forward slash Justin Fields forward slash. Good luck, everybody, and uh, I hope you guys win. So we're moving on to the second portion of our show, and usually, Mason, um, we do this earlier on in the year. Usually it happens like the the week after the Bears season ended, but we kind of have more important things to kind of talk about with head coaches and general managers. So we, we kind of put off the Bears awards show. Just Again, this is basically a list, and we have the names of these awards, and I'll actually put these up as we discuss them. And – we're just going to, I think we'll do it rapid fire depending on the award. We can obviously, we'll have a little bit more uh, to back it up with, but Mason, are you, are you kind of ready to just get this going? Let's do this. This is going to put the final seal on this past Bears season. And then we will find out early tomorrow morning who the new GM is and head coach and we can move on. I, I like the sound of that Mason. So we're going to start here and let's see, I should have all these in order. All right, the monster right. moment of the year. And so Will actually gave me his list of things. So I'm going to read off Will's uh, monster moment of the year. And he has Nagy and Pace being let go. Finally, we can move forward in a new direction. But really, it's Justin Fields' two-minute drill versus Steelers when he hit A-Rob for 39 yards and then hit Darnell Mooney for the go-ahead touchdown that uh, he put in parentheses that we squandered, but still showed Justin can be, in quotes, that guy. Okay, I like that, Will. Um, 
you know, either one really is the monster moment. Mason, what do you got for the monster moment of the year? And for people in the chat, please put down what you have there as well. You know, it's funny. Um, I have what we'll put for a different one we have later in this list. But for the monster moment, I have solo right, zoom fake, fake 18 pitch, naked right, or Justin's having a field day. Right, that's Justin Fields against the 49ers. 943 left in the fourth quarter. The ball's on the 22 yard line. They're down 16 to 23. Gotta get a score here, right? To have any chance of winning this game. Plays ruins. It just doesn't work out. You know, everything's falling over the place. And Justin just mixes multiple people. Jason Peters, you know, finds the fountain of youth and lays down a beautiful block. And then one of the biggest things for me is because I think that really helped moving forward like into that Steelers game while they didn't the Bears didn't win that game it gave Justin a little bit of some swagger there which was lacking because of previous weeks where he was still finding himself and finding Nagy was trying to figure out what the heck was going on with this offense which wasn't very good and the celebration Justin had afterwards too I mean that was something for me that is important to hold on to and if I'm the head coach coming in next year that's one of the plays plays I'm putting up on the screen, not just, you know, for the whole team to see, but even just Justin, Hey, look, Justin, this is who you can be this. And then, you know, there's a couple other plays you're going to stack, but that electricity is something that the bears are going to need. I like that a lot. And I did not look at Will's notes until just now. So the Pittsburgh game is also in my, my, uh, you know, notes for the monster moment of the year. I have 247 uh, left in the fourth quarter. Bears are down 26 to 20 to the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road at Heinz Field. And Justin Fields leads the Bears on a seven play, 75 yard drive to tie the game with his touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney. And then obviously Cairo Santos hits the extra point to give him that 27 to 26 lead with 146 remaining in the game. And like Will said, the Bears squandered that. But here's why I think it was a monster moment. Um, that drive and what he was able to do because Fields never really got a chance to build off of that moment, which is so unfortunate because after that Monday night game and that drive, obviously the bears blew the game, but you had the bye week kind of kills some momentum a little bit there. Obviously not building off that going to the next week. Then you got the Baltimore game, right? And he had what roughly like 30 snaps in there, got hurt, had to exit early, didn't play versus Detroit or the Arizona game came back against green Bay and had amazing first half, right? That was electric. And then Minnesota plays, gets hurt again, and that that's that was it. He didn't play for the rest of the season. Didn't play in Seattle. We saw Nick Fold, new the New York game, and then obviously the season finale in Minnesota. So that's why I had it for the monster moment or monster moment of the year. But again, he didn't build off of that. Like, and who knows what could have happened if he did? But um, you know, and like you said, Mason, you have it somewhere else in in this uh, show um, what we have for awards. So. We'll go to the next one now, and let's see if that works. All right. The stat, and I hope I spelled, oh my gosh, I hope I spelled all these right, because once they go up, they're up there. Uh, we have the stat of the year. And Mason, I'm going to go to you first. What do you got here? There's a lot of telling stats for this year. None of them are very good, to be quite honest. But the one that I keep going back to, and I did a lot for the stat we had after each game, was that third down percentage, uh, 75 Conversions on 216 attempts leads to 34.7%. You can't win a lot of football games that way. It's just, it's ridiculous, you know, to only be able to convert on a third. And the end of the year was a little misleading too, because it felt like they were going on for it on fourth down pretty much every time in the last couple of games. So, you know, so 
those games could have even had larger gaps if they hadn't just said, hey, I mean, Neg was like, I'm out the door. Well, who, who cares? I'm just going to go for it on fourth down anyway. That that has to improve, right? Either A, you're not in third down because you are converting on first and second, or B, if you are in a third down situation, you are converting more than 34.7%. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, You know, in that number, like the 30, what is it, 34, 33 that you said there, I feel like the Bears have hovered around that for the last three to four years. It has not, it, it just stayed there. And obviously, you, you know, that's not a great number to be around. So, yeah, that's a very telling stat. What it will have for his stat, I don't know. LOL. All right. Well, there we go. He doesn't have one there. Um, for me, I just have 18 and a half, the number of sacks that Robert Quinn finished with this season. And to kind of take it the opposite direction for you mason where you kind of went with the negative which very very fitting for how this bear season ended um i went with robert quinn and obviously breaking richard dent's record taking down mike glennon and that dominant performance against the the new york giants so that's kind of the direction i went there and i see a couple of people in the chat um we got cliff here i'll put that up before we get to on the next one kind of going with with that one as well so that definitely works We'll get to the next one. And now this one, um, we'll see. We have the offensive most valuable bear. And I'll start this one off first. Um, I'm going Darnell Mooney. I'm going Darnell Mooney as a bear, the offensive MVB. Played in all 17 games. Finished with 1,055 receiving yards. Led the team in receiving touchdowns. And when you were looking for explosive plays, the very limited ones that happened in this Bears offense, I felt like Darnell Mooney did a pretty good job of creating them. And obviously, I think he still left a lot out there with the drops that he had. But overall, it was a pretty down year, right, for offense, just the offense in general. But I'll give it to Darnell Mooney as the most valuable Bear this season. For people in the chat, make sure you definitely comment on who you think it is. But Mason, who do you got for the most valuable Bear? Uh, first of all, Cliff, you're a cheater. You're picking two people. Doesn't count. You're banned from chat. Um, number two, I picked up David Montgomery. I just think that was the identity of this team. He was the one that, after pretty much every loss, would get up there in a press conference and talk. You know, when a lot of these other uh, veterans weren't doing that. He had two 100-yard seasons, 108 and 100 games, excuse me, and then a couple that were close. Uh, the While you could argue that yes justin herbert you know i'm all about that juice came in and did really well replacing him you did feel that there was something a little different when montgomery wasn't in there it, it wasn't the same uh, kind of kind of output and i mean he really did carry carry this team and we kept saying over and over and over again why isn't he at 20 carries why is he have more touches what's going on here what's going on there if you i feel i truly feel if you take david montgomery out well yes maybe justin herbert could support that role a little bit this offense would have been worse than it is, which is saying something because this offense wasn't good in the first place. Okay. I, I like that. Um, very, and you know, that was somebody and I have him, I have Dave Montgomery somewhere else on this list. I promise. Um, Will just looking at his offensive MVP, he also went with Darnell Mooney. So, okay. We, we got two to one uh, ratio there. Let's go now. Let's see if it changes up a little bit here. And I don't know if it really will. Uh, going to the defensive MVP, we'll kind of circle around here. 
We'll start with Will to kind of start us off. Roquan Smith. I'll go next. I have Roquan Smith. Mason, who do you have for your defensive MVP? Kairostanga. Oh, crap. That was my second guy. Uh, it, it is Roquan Smith. I mean, if you just look at couple for one, like the Bears don't create any turnover. So pass breakups, interceptions are kind of out the window. Uh, you could maybe make an argue for Robert Quinn. But on a play-in, play-out basis, 163 tackles. You can look at the next person on this list, which is Alec Ogletree, 87. It's it's Roquan Smith. It definitely is. Um, I, I felt I knew that one was going to be just the, you know, I knew that was going to be a clean sweep in terms of who the defensive MVP is. It'd be nice if we can debate, but I think Roquan Smith, and you know, credit to Roquan Smith. He kind of closed the door and said, look, this is how I'm going to play this season. There is no debate, even though, you know, people who vote for all pro and pro bowl and things like that, like to leave out Roquan Smith on those, those, um, prestigious lists which are not very accurate because they don't have real quantum in the first place i do think some of these other categories might be a little contentious surprising so we were allowed to have a couple here that are easy exactly yeah so uh for the sid oh let me how about i put it up on the screen first the sid luckman award which goes to the best quarterback i have nick Foles. anybody else that's different no all right we can move on no okay uh i'll you know what i'll it's justin fields for me um, I don't know if that's like a huge surprise, but I will preface by saying this quarterback play this year was not very good. Um, right. Because obviously if it was better, I think the bears would have a better record to kind of reflect that. But it just felt like for me, when Justin Fields was in the game, there are more of those explosive plays that were happening chances to win. Like you mentioned the run against the 49ers that was fields creating on his own when nothing was there. Nothing was absolutely, Amazon on a fourth and one, right? And it put the Bears up 23, uh, 23 to 22, I believe. But Santos, Cairo Santos missed the PAT afterwards. And the 49ers scored. So it gave him a chance. He gave him a chance to win. You have the game against Pittsburgh. Like uh, Will and I uh, alluded to earlier, the first half against Green Bay, that was Justin Fields just making plays. But again, there are also some of those, those duds, right? And, you know, it goes for Justin Fields and all, you know, um, there were duds, obviously, for Andy Dalton as well, but the Cleveland game, and that I don't put on really Justin Fields. It's just he, he was a quarterback in that one. You have the Tampa Bay game. Again, the game plan going into both of those were just atrocious. And then also Baltimore. Even though he had only the 30 snaps, it was like the offense wasn't really moving. And, again, go back to the game planning in that one. Didn't get him outside the pocket, I know, specifically in that one. But – it, it just, there were times where the offense stalled, and you could say that for all the quarterbacks here. But Mason, do you have, who do you got? It's Justin Fields. Uh, there, there are two general metrics you can look at with this. One is just the eye test. Who did you want yeah. out there? I mean, the fact that the rookie at, all, at times really did give you a better chance to win in most of your games, you could make the argument, yes, there might be a game or two in there that if you had Dalton, you could have maybe pulled it out, but... You know, that's not what this year was about. We said it from the beginning. It was about progress. But then if you look at some of those advanced metrics, it also still goes to Justin. So if you look at attended air yards per pass attempt or average depth of target, whether it was completed or not, Justin was at 9.8. Andy was at 6.9. Nick Foles is at 5.7. He actually, you know, threw the ball downfield, what a quarterback is supposed to do. Completed air yards per completion or the yards the ball traveled in the air past the line of scrimmage prior to completion. Who led it? Justin Fields, 7.4. Andy Dalton was at 5.1. Nick Foles was at 3.5. I think you're sensing a pattern here. 
right? And completed air yards per pass attempt. Justin's in the lead of basically all of these categories of what today's modern NFL is, which is pushing the ball downfield unless you're the Titans and you have a freak like Derrick Henry, who is not just freak, but a mutant. Like you can lean on that, you know, run game. You need to attack downfield. The completion percentage is going to be funky. He's a rookie. The offense was broken. You, you have a ton of hitches, all that stuff that, you know, that are, you know, we know all this. When you actually look at those other aspects that show what he can actually potentially do. And if someone's there to truly develop him and create a dynamic offense. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It's, it, or it's exciting. It's interesting to see where it's going to go. It's just fields. The other two just, it was a bad game plan from the beginning, man. Andy Dolan getting all the snaps in preseason and training camp. Ugh. Yep. That's, uh, that's how this season began. And now <laughs> we bring it up in the end here. And also will had, Justin Fields to kind of cap it off there. Go to our next award, which is the Olin Crutes Award. Goes to the best offensive lineman. And, you know, George McCaskey kind of called, he did call Olin Crutes a liar in his press conference. One of the many things that uh, George McCaskey uh, messed up there. But uh, by the way, I guess go, to, go to Obvious Shirts. Buy the Rolling with Olin shirt. It's funny. Mine's coming tomorrow. <laughs> that, yep, that, that's, a, that's a shirt that, um, yeah, I would definitely get as well. Uh, Olin Krutz Award and Will has going to Will first here, James Daniels. And he puts in parentheses almost Jason Peters, but Daniels played every snap. Good point there, Will. I, I you know, I, you know, uh, who do you got, Mason? I'll save mine for less. I, I have Jason Peters. Um, if you look, it's, it's hard because, man, there needs to be someone that really dives into more offensive line stats because they're hard to come by and there's there are some really good metrics out there but um i got these from andrew freeman uh at twitter he's at aj freeman 25 he does actually some really solid work there so uh go check that out but give him a follow when you look at 2021 uh with season long uh pass blocking win rate for the bears number one was james daniels at 87.62 percent number two was jason peters at 86.70 percent if you look at just one-on-one blocking in terms of uh, win rate, Peters is at 84.48%, which is ridiculously high. Number two is Effetti at 82.22%, and James Daniels at 80.66%. So not, so not far at all. But uh, in terms of, in general, importance of also position, yes, Peters missed some games. But to be fair, he came off of, a, you know, fishing at the side of a dock. So, you know, that's, uh, that's a little funky there. But, you know, your left tackle is just so important right and if you don't have a solid play there it's it's bad and it's harder to hide that left tackle and to have someone that you can say hey we like we saw with that one-on-one blocks you're on your own like you are going against the best you know edge rusher that they have deal with it versus in the center james daniels you're going to have a lot of double teams you're going to have help the running back is always going to look inside out in theory if they know how to pass block so that's why i ended up giving it to jason peters Okay, I, I can see the, you know, make make the case for Peters there. And again, Will almost did that. I went with James Daniels as well. If I were Ooh. to take down this green screen. Yeah, I know. If I were to take down the screen, like this is not really, guys. This is a green. Oh, that's kind of weird. Uh, that's a green screen. There's a bunch of Iowa stuff up there. Um, but he did play all the snaps according to PFF. Again, however you view PFF. Um, had the best run blocking grade in his four-year career. And he was the most consistent, I think. Um in terms of week-to-week basis for the the Bears offensive linemen. And it was kind of a, 
fluctuating roller coaster at times from one game to another. But um, for the most part, maybe that's not saying too much. But I thought James Daniels did a you know a pretty good job in the interior, especially when I look at the other two guys that are in the interior with Cody Whitehair and Sam Mustafer. They there were times where it's just like, man, okay, the Bears need to upgrade. <laughs> they need to get somebody else new there. And for James Daniels and quick little quick anecdote um i don't know if this played live but on after the season concluded um we got a chance the media to kind of go into these zoom press conferences um and james Daniels was one of them and i again i don't know if this was on youtube because i don't think the bears aired these but james daniels and mark potash of the sun times kind of got into it it was it was really strange, awkward, and I wanted it to end, and so did everybody else who was on this call. Uh, it, it pertained to basically James, uh, Mark Powell was asking about, asked James Daniels if the Bears need somebody that's more old school like Kirk Ferentz is at Iowa. Like Matt Nagy had the club dub. It was way different than how Kirk Ferentz kind of approaches coaching. And basically the question was how – uh, Podash asked James Daniels, was was Kirk Ferentz successful? And then it went on this long tangent that somehow I'm on the call muted. I get brought up into this. James Daniels like, oh, just ask Nicholas on the call. He also went to Iowa. Was, was Iowa successful? I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, again, muted. I'm not asking the question. And James Daniels brings me into the, the conversation. Some I, I didn't say anything, but um, it was weird and it was just a, a crazy way to end everything, but they both got kind of heated with each other. Uh, but, but we can end it because we bring up James Daniels. I don't think we're going to bring him up any more in this show. So I will um, go to the next um, award here. Uh, and the next one is the most improved player award. So I have a list of players here that could potentially be that guy. I'll quickly give Wills and he has, and this is one of my guys, Robert Quinn, makes complete sense, right? I mean, from how he played the first year with the Bears, only having two sacks, uh, 20 total tackles, three forced fumbles, to what he had in this season, 49 total tackles, the 18 and a half sacks, the four forced fumbles, and eight stuffs compared to one in 2020. And, you know, he's on my list. Mason, do you have anybody different for most improved? I do. I see where Will's coming from and probably a lot of people in chat. When I hear most, if it was comeback player of the year, I would have given it to Robert Quinn because when you've been in the league for a bit and you're doing a roller coaster thing, like I don't see that as improvement. You're getting back to baseline or, or whatever the situation might be and, or just, you know, excelling for me, most improved is someone who like either, you know, is, is probably really young or started off the year mm -hmm. rough something needed to improve and move forward from there. So there were a couple people I almost put in this uh, category as well. Like Cole Komet came to mind. I thought he really improved in terms of what he was doing, uh, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Travis Gibson was another person just because of what he was able to add to the pass rush with Mac out and uh, with Atachu being lost. You know, almost forget Atachu was even on the team with how early he, he yeah. left. I ended up giving it to Justin Herbert. One, because he was non-existent at the beginning of the year. And stepped in huge for the Bears. I mean, he was a big part of that Buccaneers game. Any reason why you'd even consider the Bears in that game. And 
one of the things that he really did struggle with was his pass blocking. And when you saw throughout the year, he actually did get better at that part. That was one of the reasons I think that he wasn't able to get on the field uh, early and why Damian Williams was because on third down, you're going to trust a Damian Williams to block more so than a Justin Herbert. Uh, it was also an excuse for me to get Justin Herbert on this list, to be completely honest. So that's where I went. Awesome. I, I love it. Um, I'll go with a person that hasn't been mentioned because you mentioned uh, Travis Gibson could be a guy on here. And that's someone that was in the chat. And yeah, you know, going from no sacks and very limited play in his rookie season to seven, which is awesome for Travis Gibson. I'll go with DeAndre Houston Carson as my most improved player award. Somebody that clearly the Bears trusted to be out on the field, whether it was because, hey, there was an injury or because they wanted to put him on the defensive scheme and what Sean Desai valued in him, DHC was out there until he finally, um, what was it, got that forearm injury. But, you know, the stats reflect his play improving. But I think just each and every season, like DeAndre Houston Carson has been on the Bears, he has made improvements. And I know there's this, there is um, criticism for the Bears' previous you know, with under Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, that players didn't improve. DHC is the one guy that I can kind of point to. Like, he did, and that's not too bad. It's not consistent for everybody, but he was somebody that, you know, you trusted out there, made some plays, and you know what? Honestly, when the Bears would go small to dime nickel packages in, you know, he was out there. I felt good about it. There's obviously, he's limited in terms of his athleticism, and we saw that a couple times, but I think for what he's been given in the situation and how, where he started and where he's at, like, yeah, I, I like where DHC has kind of gone in his career. So it is nice to see when players like that can make that improvement. So now we'll go from talking to a positive to a complete negative in this next award here, uh, the letdown player of the year award. Um, Mason, this one might be a consensus as well, but I'm going to see who do you got for, for this guy? Kindle Vildor, a uh, situation okay. where he was, I don't want to say handed, but kind of handed the starting gig. I mean, you had a situation where now I'm having a brain fart, old Lions cornerback. Um, Desmond Trufant. Thank you so much. Desmond Trufant looked like he'd be the starter, and he had problems just, just existing to being there because he had unfortunately stuff with his dad. Um, you end up, you know, there's injuries at cornerback, which now all of a sudden those people are gone. So really you're only going against Artie Burns, who is still coming coming off an injury. Literally, he was kind of just given cornerback too, unfortunately. And when you're just given a role like that to then lose it to an Artie Burns, to be bouncing around, it was really, really just, just disappointing to, to have that happen for a guy like that. So Man, I, I just thought he, it would be something, and it was nothing. I I did not expect you to say that, and uh, for people who are like, what the hell did you just go new, Nick? I completely forgot. Like, I was gonna put like a, a blazer on because we're doing like awards, and it was over there the entire time. Like, all right, I'm just gonna go get it, and that's it's it's probably stupid now, but I did it anyway. Okay, uh, let's. It. it was worth it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mason. Um, I'll go to. Okay, so uh, Will and I were thinking along the same lines here. Uh, let down player of the year. Uh, he has Allen Robinson. I have Allen Robinson. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just a really crappy situation for him. Um, look, this is what happened in this 2021 season isn't who Allen Robinson is. And I hope Bears fans 
know that. And I think they should. And there's a lot of frustration with Allen Robinson in terms of production, but also maybe effort at times. And I get it. But the 38 receptions, a career low other than the 2017 season where he got injured in Torres ACL in the first game, like that's a career low for him. The 66 target, everything is basically a career low uh, outside of that one season in 2017 where, again, he got injured the first first game. But he is it is a letdown because of how productive he was, you know, with Mitchell Trubisky and this Bears offense since the beginning. But again, I don't I don't want to put that on Allen Robinson because it, this this season is not reflective of the player that he is and who he will still be after this, you know, in 2022, most most likely not with the Bears, but it was a letdown to see that your number one wide receiver was not producing, couldn't stay on the field, got cold, like a lot of these things that some are not in his power, but there's a lot of built up frustration and just it just didn't end well. For, for Allen Robson, which is pretty unfortunate because, you know, prior to the season happening, I think almost everybody's like, you got to give him the new contract. We got to, you know, there's got to be a way to re-sign him to get that extension. And that that could be furthest from reality at, at, at this point in time because of how he played and kind of how things went down, which again, like I said, is pretty unfortunate. Okay, so now we're going to go like this roller coaster, just like the Bears season that we're on right now, or that we were on, and we're currently on with this Bears uh, head coach and GM search. But the next award is the most underrated player of the year. And I think we'll get some differing answers for this one as well. Mason, how about you start us off here? Who do you have for the most underrated player? Yeah, this one was interesting. There, Like you said, there's a couple different ways you can go with this. I went after someone that I felt... I, I definitely went after during the year, and a lot of people did as well. And at the end of the day, they, they really did do their job, but maybe not to the extent that everyone wants, and that's Eddie Jackson. And he just – and like I said, I was a part of this too. I still think he should have produced more based on you know what he's getting paid and what he's done in the past just because, you know, I've seen you do it. I know you can do it. But what he means to this defense, that's really the underrated part. Because then when we did see him go out, we saw a lot of mistakes on the back end. Communication errors, his ranginess preventing quarterbacks from attacking downfield, and what, and really the, the ability to play slot corner, too. I mean, to have a safety be able to do that, I don't know how many guys in the league, league can do that. Um, are there still areas to improve? 100%, right? I mean, he needs to get a turnover. <laughs> he needs to... It were improve on his tackling and his price tag is too high for his current production, but that doesn't mean that the fan base as a whole is not, and, and myself, like I said, included was not undervaluing what he did give you. Okay. I, I like that. And it looks like looking at Will's answer and mine, obviously we, we all have differing um, answers here for the most underrated player for Will. He has Jesper Horstead. Um, of course, he's just for L- I know. LOL in parentheses here. Six snaps, four targets, and two touchdowns. Like, all right, I see where you're going with this, Will. Like, when he was on the field, much like Khalil Herbert, production happened. And all right, I I, I wasn't expecting to see that here. But we have Khalil Herbert mentioned. We have Jesper Horstead. And now we're going to get Angelo Blackson for me as my most underrated player. Had a career high in tackles with 43, played in all 17 games, 
and he ended with two and a half sacks, which again, he's had this two and a half sacks for his career high for three seasons. Now he can't get that half sack or just three. He can't find it. He's still at two and a half for his career high, but he was able to match that. Um, and he also got his first career interception against Joe Burrow, who we'll see this weekend playing in the playoffs. And he had three and a half stuffs, which is also a career high. So, okay. Um, underrated got some interesting answers. Um, that was a great Angelo answer, Black. I, I, I really like that. You know, it, there's. I was mean to write something on Angelo Blackson for the entire year, but I just never did. And maybe that, again, fits why he's underrated, but um, I think it was a good signing for the Bears. So we have Jesper Horstead from Will, Blackson from me, and Eddie Jackson from Mason here. I also had Cole Komet as like a secondary, like underrated, because I feel like, honestly, Mason, anytime we hear Cole Komet, someone's talking talking down about him almost like mm -hmm. again I'm, it's where he was drafted it's what people want to see from him but he had a pretty good season to be complete again fluctuation at the quarterback position did he have he didn't have a touchdown right he didn't have a touchdown this past season but i think he's ascending in the right direction so i had him as like a, a 1b um again we'll go the exact opposite here most overrated player of the year this one should get i think Depending on how you look at it, I'm going to kind of start us off here, Mason. I have as my most overrated player, and people in the chat, please put down who you think is the overrated player of the year. I have Danny Trevathan. Okay, now this may sound crazy, right? Danny Trevathan. Why, why the heck do you have Danny Trevathan? I have him because of how the Bears initially viewed him and why Ooh. they wanted to even bring him back in the first place, right? Big reason they brought him back to that three-year extension for 21 0.75 million back that he signed on March uh, 12, 2020. It was basically for that leadership, right? Because of how, what he meant to the locker room. But we saw not only did the Bears not really even need him out there on the field, but that leadership was found through other players in the team, specifically his counterpart who plays alongside him in Roquan Smith. So that value that they initially had in 2020 when they signed the extension it makes him overrated for the 2021 season where he didn't even basically play. And Alec Ogletree showed his value and why he should potentially be the guy that plays alongside Roquan Smith. If you're looking to bring back uh, Ogletree on a, you know, a friendly team veteran deal because he showed that he can play there. But I think for me overrated, it's like Dane Trevathan. Maybe that goes, maybe I'm cheating a little bit because I'm going back to the, when the signing happened in 2020, but for the 2021 season, it's like, Danny Trevathan, I honestly don't even like. It, it's a an anomaly. It didn't happen, and that's kind of where I'm at with with this particular player, Mason. Who do you got for the most overrated player of the year? Just like I'm sure I made some enemies, and people think I'm an idiot for listing Eddie Jackson as an underrated player. I'm gonna do the same exact thing, and again, have some people hate me for this one. I have Jalen Johnson as the most overrated player mm -hmm. on the Bears. Now, bear with me on this. Second round pick, right? Coming in to your second year, he's a, he, and he's a strong-spoken guy, right? I mean, he talks all the time about how how good his game is, and he an overall solid game. And I'm not saying he is bad, but when you go on Bears Twitter, when you when you talk, when you hear people talk about what the Bears need next year and all these things, like everyone just says how Jalen Johnson, that's it. He's the he's the guy, and it's. He played in 15 games. He had nine passes defended and one interception. 
Artie Burns played in six games and had six passes defended, right? You had Thomas Graham played in four games and four passes defended. I mean, they were, they were outpacing him in less games. Artie Burns is someone that most Bears fans don't even want back. If you're going to be a true number one, you got to give me a little more than that. I know it's difficult when you're also matched up against the team's best player, right? If you're shadowing Devontae Adams, if you're shadowing Justin Jefferson, the individuals of that type, it is absolutely harder to to get those passes defended, to get those interceptions. It's the stats that pop off the sheet, and it's all that's understandable. But you know, then he also talked about, and this is great on his end. You know, he saw he admitted this as much after I believe it was the Packers game. He needs to, you know, he needs to be better about being able to guard the slot, right? He needs to be better about his communication and passing off in the zone. All of all of those things for me tie together, where it's like Jalen's good. He's got a bright future. He's, he is not all that yet. So when we talk about him, we need to pump the brakes a little bit and see what's happening. Cause he's basically gotten the opposite treatment of a Cole Komet. I feel like where no matter what Cole does, you know, either you love him or hate him. Uh, and it's, you know, flipped where it's like, you know, same thing, Jalen Johnson. It's like, everyone's just like, Oh my God, he's walking on air, you know, on air. And it's like, eh, let's, let's make sure let's have him do a little more first. Okay. Okay. I can, I can see where you're coming from there, Mason. I'll just put this out there. Um, like you look at that last game against Minnesota, how the Bears season came full circle and not touching down somebody in that Rams game, right? That ended up being a touchdown. Jalen Johnson did the exact well, he mm-hmm. did it now in the last mm-hmm. game of the year. And that that um was something that even like George McCaskey mentioned in his end of the year press conference. And again, we poke fun at everything in that press conference, but that I thought had some validity to it. Like we saw those same problems occurring. Yep. Um, and now kind of going to to Will's most overrated player, he had Damian Williams as the guy. And he put <laughs> down that he thought that uh, Williams would have a much bigger impact this season. I think, um, you know, just recalling like when they made the signing, like, yeah, it was a good move. Like initially that was a good move for the Bears. And, and I think it was what the Ra- um, Raiders game that we saw a little bit of Damian Williams, we saw Khalil Herbert, and that was the first game that David Montgomery had missed. And then it kind of was just um, a weird, like, he had COVID, it wasn't playing. Like, yeah, so I get that from, from Will's the most overrated player. All right, next one. We have, and we have a good amount of awards left, so we might do a little bit rapid fire, but uh, just to start this one off, toughest dude award. This is where I put David Montgomery on my list of, of guys that qualify for for – Guys that are just tough, and you saw that in every single run that David Montgomery had, going battling through some injuries, being that workhorse that the Bears need him to be. I have David Montgomery as my toughest dude, and so does Will as mate. And he put this in parentheses as Mason would say, he's just built different. Had the had that nasty knee injury versus the Lions, but after a few weeks on IR, came back and had a really strong second half of the season. I like that. Mason, who do you got for your toughest dude award? You know, I, I do really appreciate that. I mean, I've I've nicknamed Montgomery Cyborg uh, just because of how ridiculous he yep. is. But for me, I ended up having to put Justin Fields simply due to the Good injuries. I, I'm a physical therapist. I got to go with like the injury thing. And obviously, you can make the argument seeing, hey, Justin, are you injury prone right now? We've seen a lot of them, the ankle, the ribs, et cetera. But knowing the impact that those injuries have on a player, on, on movement patterns, seeing what it looks like the ankle looked like all these different things. Like the fact that he played when he did is he, that is a tough dude. 
I, I like that a lot, Mason. That that's a really good one. And um, you know, that's exactly who Justin Fields and Matt Nagy said it multiple multiple times throughout the year. Like he's just tough, and that that definitely holds true. Going to the next award, we have the underrated coach of the year award. And I'll start this off. I have Bill Shuey, the outside linebackers coach. Um, you just look at the production from that group, whether it's in a young buck like Travis Gibson or the exact opposite in Robert Quinn, you got production out of those guys. And that was obviously with um, you brought him up and I'm Atachu going down. I completely forgot he was on the team. Did we, until you mentioned him, Mason, I just forgot Atachu was a person. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for bringing that up because it, it, it you know, holds true for this um this award specifically, and also when Khalil Mack goes down, how do you how do you get production out of that group? What do you got to do? And for those two to really just step up their game, and Travis Gibson and Robert Quinn, I have to give it to Bill Shuey, the outside linebackers coach. Mason, who do you got? I have Chris Taper, special teams and interim head coach for for a game. You know, stepped in when when Nagy had COVID. Uh, overall, did well with with the play calling yeah. or not play calling, but you know, being head coach duties. In general, I mean, it's common that hashtag Bears special teams trending on Twitter, it seems like every week. But this season, you know, it's definitely been better under Chris Tabor. It was, wasn't really a problem. He got a, a lot out of a little. Definitely not the best second, third tier guys in special teams that they've that, that they've had. Um, and, and not just that, but also then when you look at, you know, how he was able to get Jakeem Grant, you know, going, Will's. And not anti-Jakeem, but he's not as high on Jakeem Grant as I am. Um, things like that. It's just to have someone like him, and there's just a consistency to it overall. The head stepping in as head coach, props to Chris Tabor. Yeah, and Will also went that direction. And I had a feeling that Chris Tabor would be. So I'm like, all right, who's who's another guy that I could mention here? But Chris Tabor, he put special teams was playing at a high higher level than in years past. And we barely talked about it. So kind of what you, you were mentioning there, Mason. So you will kind of aligning here on some of these thoughts here. A little bit, on these awards. A little bit. So now we got the single or Lackis award, which goes to the best linebacker of the year and, or the biggest hitter. Sorry, Mason, are we in consensus here? Who do you got? Biggest. I went, I went, uh, I think a different way. Um, how many people want to, tv award for their hit this year how many people um, yeah how many players on the bears got an award from a tv personality for their hit okay i know exactly where i have david montgomery like i i try i literally just sat there and i said okay what hits do i remember the ones i remember are david montgomery just running over people putting his head down and just and just destroying people so the fact that for me in past years, right, you have uh, Kyle Fuller usually was someone who you think about with that. That didn't really happen this year for me on defense. So when you have like at least two, three runs in your mind that that kind of fit that bill, when you're looking for that contact, I'm giving it to Monty. I like that a lot. Um, and I didn't even think that way. I just went automatically to Roquan Smith because I remember just writing in my notes all the time like, man, Roquan is just punishing the these players regardless of who it is where they're at what team sideline to sideline so that's where i went with that one uh will also went with roquan so we got two roquan smith and a david montgomery and you know I, yeah i asked him about that in his press conference about winning 
the the angry runs and he's like i just got to keep running angry so i can win it again and i knowing david montgomery is definitely going to hold hold true to that going to the next award it's the baby bear award goes to the rookie of the year uh mace uh let's see mason I'm, i wonder if you and will are going to be aligned here because will has khalil herbert's imagine if naggy kept him involved in the offense imagine that and maybe we can because Nagy's no longer here. Mason, who do you got for the Baby Bear Award? Also, Khalil Herbert. I felt the need to double dip. When you look at the draft class, I mean, you could default to a Justin Fields, but in terms of impact on the each individual game and then on it, the actual win losses and such, Khalil Herbert just did a little more this year. And that's not Justin's fault even, right? I mean, he just didn't get a chance. Uh, to be fair, Khalil Herbert did, didn't either. Um <laughs> It, 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 this is a tough one because it just seemed like the the organization was like, you know what, let's play rookies as little as possible because we have to win as much as possible for our jobs, to be completely honest, if I'm, if I'm going to go that, be completely honest. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's Justin Herbert just for how we could step in. And if you actually used both running backs, Dave Montgomery and Cole Herbert, to their fullest, uh, I think they could have done some really cool things like the Browns do with, with Hunt and Chubb. Okay, I I just went with Justin Fields. I'm like, you know what? Let me not. I maybe I could have made the case for Khalil Herbert. Maybe Kyrus Tonga just showing how maybe and Will's actually gonna get to this in one of his um awards. But Kyrus Tonga played pretty well this season for his limited snaps. But I'm going Justin Fields. He is the rookie of the year for me. Again, those splash plays that we saw. Big part of that was because of Justin Fields. Now this one used to be called the Richard Dent Award. Now we've named it the Robert Quinn Award because obviously he broke the record. And, you know, maybe we could still, you know, pay respects to Richard Dent because obviously, you know, Hall of Famer, you could do that. But it goes to the best pass rusher. And for this season, for me, for the total, for the sack totals, it's Robert Quinn, who the, the award is named after. Will also has Robert Quinn. Mason, you have. Robert Quinn, um, I mean, it's just he was the pass rusher, and it's, it's a little bit of the process elimination. Matt got hurt. Atachi, who we, we realized was on the team again, got hurt. Travis Gibson was fine, but, I mean, he didn't break a record. And it was just nice to see him do that, too, because he is just such a nice guy. And one of the things that I really enjoyed this year was the fact that, you know, when you he hear some of the, the quotes that are written – Quinn kind of comes off as maybe standoffish or, you know, just doesn't want to talk to you, but he just got this like Southern charm to him. Like I didn't realize that until I actually got to go and hear him at the press conference of the green Bay game. And then he made news right when he got the sack award, he was asked, did you get any advice on speaking to the media when he came into the league? And Robert Quinn says, and I quote, no, I've always been a quiet guy. That's just my personality. As far as when I talk to the media, they say a man has two things, his words and his nuts. And you don't want to lose either. I try to be as honest as I can when I talk to people. And that's just refreshing. It's that he's he broke a record that he's that and he's humble about it. And you know, he's I'm to to use a an outdated terminology, I'm gonna be a man about it and I'm gonna stick to my word, I'm gonna stick to my play, and I'm gonna put it all out there for you. So Robert Quinn, hats off to you, sir. Mason, I was in that Zoom call when he said that, and it was it was so funny just seeing everyone's like, wait, what? <laughs> but I 
so I tweeted that out, like quoted it, and it's from I think it's from a movie. I think it's from Scarface. Or Scarface. Something like he, he, took, he took it from there, <laughs> which I realized later. Okay. But like, uh. yeah, but it was hilarious because like, whoa, Robert, um, you just you just do you, buddy. You're doing a great job this season, so you can say whatever you want. Um, but okay, all consensus there. This one maybe we'll get different ones. The surprise player of the year, Macy. Who do you got for this one? I have someone who had a bit of an uphill battle. You know, rookie came in, did not participate last year because of COVID. So he talked about how his uh, confidence was down with that. Got cut by the Bears, even though there was a lot of question marks with the defensive backs. And you'd think he could find a role with how terrible these backs are. And he came in and just balled. He literally came in and all he did for the most part was just play hard and overall play well, except for a touchdown given up against DK Metcalf. That's really the one thing that stands out in my head. It's Thomas Graham Jr. And it's a surprise because you didn't know a lot about him coming out. Like I said, he didn't play uh, that year before due to COVID when he was at Oregon. And then while a lot of people, myself included, were clamoring for him to make the final roster, you know, it just kind of sets you up in a way he got cut and he was buried on the practice squad. So for him to come out like he did at the end of the year and play like he did, total surprise and I'm uh, super awesome. And hopefully something that the Bears can build with. Yeah, hopefully. I like where Thomas Grant's going and kind of what he's already showed in this limited play. Uh, Will and I both have Jakeem Grant. And Will said, who thought he'd be an all-pro and pro bowler when we traded for him in October? Not me. Nope. Only only Mason did. And, you know, he was there at the joint practices uh, at the time. Like, yeah, nope. Didn't think Jakeem Graham was going to be a guy in the Bears. And obviously, look, he had, a, he had a hell of a season and just took over in the Green Bay in that first half, which was, you know, we were both there, Mason, which was awesome to see for sure from a guy that I did not have high expectations for in terms of offensive performances. But he did provide a little spark there. Um, going and also to the next might be really interesting for next year is Tariq Cohen – on the Bears, considering that Jakeem Grant kind of took that role a little bit near the end of the year there. Plus, I mean, who knows? Maybe the next head coach, offense coordinator, has no use for a gadget player. But just throwing that out there. Yeah, very uh, – something to definitely think about. I have to make a list of topics, and that now is going to be one of them. So thank you, Mason. Uh, we have the Golden Boot Award, and basically it's a player that kind of just needs a – their time in Chicago is done. You could have already put the boot to Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. But uh, who else needs to be just done? I'll give Wills first. Oh, okay. This is a uh, he has Eddie Goldman. Ooh. Wasn't the same player he was prior to uh, taking 2020 off, and Kyrus Tonga showed enough to make you wonder if Goldman's deal is worth it. Surprised he wasn't in the you know Baby Bear Award, just considering how how highly he's talking about Kyrus Tonga here. Interesting. Okay, Mason, who do you got for this one? I have pretty much everybody that played slot corner. Marky Christian, Duke <laughs> Shelley. Like, there are some positions that when when extra rolls around, you're going to have to keep some of these guys who maybe didn't perform like you wanted them to just because you need the depth. Um, there's also a lot of players who are going to be already just free agents. The, the, the list is kind of long there. But this is a position where at least I felt there was – there was no no good baseline. There was no improvement scene. It's just like you could do so much better just 
grabbing a guy from the draft or going back to free agency. So just that needs to be a complete wash. Okay. I am going I'm going with Mario Edwards, you guys. Uh, I think for <laughs> for the number of personal foul penalties and look there obviously there were times where he did make plays, but I just think I think it's time to call it quits uh just in terms of what Mario Edwards provides, but also what he does bring to the table elsewhere in terms of those penalties. So uh Tristan, thanks for the heads up. Bears just announced interviews with Reggie McKenzie and Byron Leftwich. Oh, there he goes. Uh Tristan, I really appreciate that. We can uh let's Nick's see. least favorite candidate wants him nowhere near the Bears, Byron Leftwich. Let's let's pop the brakes there. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, all right, so making some progress here. Some late new well, no, I think one of them was later than this. I forgot when the boobs are just again. There's one just that came very... out at like ten o'clock or something. Yeah, yeah. So the bears are just, you know, oh, that's right, because someone had commented, like, I'm surprised Bill Polian stayed up to do the interview, <laughs> which is pretty, pretty freaking funny. No, he, he, the like thing that. is, he actually had just woken up again. That's how early of a riser. He was already in bed at four. Or he just woke up from his sixth nap of the day. Who knows? But uh, okay, thank you, Tristan, for that. Um, and again, that that happens during these podcasts. Last time Will and I did one, um, Ryan Pace got fired when it was just a Matt Nagy podcast. So things happen. All right, now we're going on to our next award. Hopefully, no more. Well, actually, more news. Just keep breaking. Um, call an audible of the year. So um, we could take this a bunch of different ways. Mason, how'd you kind of approach this one? I think it's the one that I think would have changed the year the most, I believe. And that's literally day one, Justin Fields is your starter. You say, you you know, you call up Andy or you bring him into Hallis Hall and, you know, sit across that giant, I don't know, pine desk. I don't know what their desks are made of. And so, you know what, Andy, I know we talked about you being the starter, <laughs> but we didn't think Justin Fields would be there at pick 11. And, you know, we'd love for you to mentor the kid. Uh, you know, I, I want you here. We want you here. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be his team. And, you know, hopefully you can be there for this guy. Because we saw with other situations, uh, you know, Mac Jones, no, it wasn't clear, clear cut. But, you know, he was competing at least with Cam Newton and then got handed it once Cam was cut. Uh, and he's doing really, really well. Uh, Zach Wilson near the end of the year started coming on, but that took time, right? He had a stack reps, uh, Trevor Lawrence, same thing. I mean, he had maybe honestly had a worse year than Justin Fields. So he's a bad example to be completely honest. But <laughs> if you had given Justin reps from the, from the get go, you know, let him develop, let him get some connection with Allen Robinson, with Darnell Mooney. Like, I mean, it was ridiculous when we went to training camps together and it was like, who's he throwing to? Oh, look, it's Rodney Adams, who I think is now on the Jets, uh, future contract with the Jets, you know, Rodney Adams season never even started. Let just re didn't need any of that. Justin day one. And we're all actually, so Will, it, it has something to do with Justin Fields. He says, starting Justin Fields versus the Browns after the beating and the terrible game plan would rather have waited a week before seeing him make that first start. Okay. Interesting. I mean, if that was going to be the game plan for Justin Fields, like I, there was no reason for him to go get sacked like what nine times in that game. Miles Garrett had a field day. I see that well, but I also have here, Mason, along the lines with what you were saying, just give Justin Fields reps with the starters. See if he can actually make this an open competition rather than just 
proclaiming Andy Dalton to be QB1. And then you had the social media post QB1 and Andy Dalton on there, which is funny, but just there was no need to do all that, in my opinion. Um, Both guys coming in their first year with the Bears, and obviously Andy Dalton had a familiarity with Bill Lazor, and that can go a long way. But it's like, what if they had made this an open competition? In that, in those joint practices with the Miami Dolphins, on one of those days, Justin Fields was the best player on the field. That not just quarterback, the best player kind of showed you what he can do in, in terms of competition and doing that with the backup wide receivers. Like again, what what how different maybe the season would have been, or maybe it ends up being similar because still Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace are still the focal point there, right? So who knows? But uh, we're all thinking along the same lines here. I know um, Cliff in the chat just firing Nagy prior to the season. Hey, like, yeah, that was part of this this year, right? But um, Here's one, this one a thing lot I think is interesting. Butterfly effect, right? So, Because a lot of people have once that once the year ended said, we should have just gotten rid of Pace and Nagy from the get-go. If you did, and it depends on what your view is here, if you did, you probably wouldn't. There's a good chance you wouldn't have Justin Fields. Right, because they felt the need to go up, get that quarterback in that situation. So, like whoever you had brought in that year, I don't, I can't even think of the top of my head who some of the other uh, people were that got hired last year. Would they feel the need to move up for a quarterback? Maybe, maybe not. And so, maybe you don't get a quarterback at all, or you end up with, um, you end up with Kellen Mond, who, who couldn't get in the at all for the Vikings. You know, literally, Kirk Cousins is out, and they're like. He's just like, nah, I'm good. I, I see Kelamond every day in practice. I don't need it. Like, so as much as I am pained by what happened this year, Pace and Nagy led me to Justin Fields. And as of right now, I am still beyond pro Justin. Also, okay. we don't know. Yeah, that. I- if we don't know the dead Mac Jones, like we have no idea of that. Patriots could have traded up. Also, I don't want Mac Jones. I'm good. Like I, he did fine. I don't like his ceiling. His ceiling is not that high it's just no i i will take justin over mac jones having wait, wasted a year with Nagy and pace i'm good and now each team will have to see how they're gonna go go from here right and you know patriots i think that's the thing with mac jones just to kind of quickly put my two th- two cents in here um good you know obviously i think he played the best out of all the rookie quarterbacks but mm-hmm. given the situation he was in and the coaching staff there he you know, he did really well. It's just, where's where's Mac Jones's ceiling at? I wonder if, I don't know if he's close to it already, but obviously there's just a much higher ceiling with Justin Fields given the right situation. And that's what we're going to see is going to happen hopefully in the next couple of days that can help Fields get to that ceiling. All right, we are on to the second to last award. I forgot to announce how many awards were on here, but we're the second to last one and we have the low light of the season and there's a bunch of times where it just felt like man can it get much worse than this yes it can so mason what do you have as the low lights of the season you already talked about this a little bit um it's that ravens game because you came you came off of the steelers game feeling like momentum had shifted you had this weird i had this weird feeling because the bears never do well out of the bye but like you had some hope and then, but it's like, oh, it's Lamar Jackson. The Ravens are, I mean, they're a weird team. You know, they, they, the whole, they barely beat the, uh, the Lions on a Justin Tucker kick. And then you hear that Lamar's out 
and it's Tyler Huntley, and no no offense to Tyler Huntley, and honestly, he probably should get a shot to start somewhere compared to some of these quarterbacks. Let's be let's be real. But it's Tyler, it's Tyler Huntley. Like you're not it's not Lamar Jackson. So the fact that the defense gave up as much as they did against against Tyler Huntley, the fact that Justin not only wasn't playing well initially, but then also ultimately got hurt was a problem for me. It was just this and then the stage of the season it was at too, you know, being a little bit later, all of that came together to just be like, man, this is this is where the season took a turn for me. I know you can go with like the Cleveland game and some of these other ones, but like just that perfect storm of how well you should have done in that game is my problem. And we're all in consensus here because Will has losing to the Ravens with no Lamar Jackson, and it was a fifth straight loss. Um, I have that game as well being the low light of the season because of also what happened after that too. Because mm-hmm. right after that loss is like the rumors about Matt Nagy being fired after the Thanksgiving game happened. And then the rumors just kept on coming, right? I felt like it was that loss that kind of just trajected everything else to kind of come afterwards. And then it was like, oh, here's this report about Matt Nagy being fired. And it look, obviously that is what ended up happening at the end of the season, but it just kind of was this outside annoying noise where it's like, okay, you're reporting this, you're reporting this. He's getting fired after this game. Like, I get it. And they, you know, he deserved, you know, obviously Matt Nagy is no longer the head coach of the Bears, but it was after that loss that all that stuff really started to pick up. And that's why we're all, again, thinking along the same lines here that it was that Ravens game that they should have won, but they didn't. And that's that's where the low light is. But now we're going to turn this, you know, flip it on its head here and kind of just end on a positive note. The best moment of the year and we'll start off with wills and he said just getting to be um let's see getting to be with all you us two watching games up in the press boxes first time and doing our show down on the field after the game like that that was pretty freaking awesome um just you know being credentialed and uh, first year doing so being able to be at the press conferences be at the games in the press box being that experience so i love that from will and you know definitely just a great moment mason what do you got I was stuck between two. Uh, the one I didn't pick was eating prime rib at Lambeau Field. I mean, that spread they had was pretty ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> would love to be able to go do that again, and hopefully maybe uh, Soldier Field steps it up. I don't think they will, but um, but I ended up going with what you what I alluded to earlier, what you guys had mentioned um, as a monster moment was that final drive against the Steelers where you know Justin ended up having a, a nine-yard completion to Eld Robinson. Uh, he had a scramble for three yards, a scramble for eight yards, 39-yard pass. There's a beautiful, and then unfortunately, a got hurt on that play, but then, then a 16 just strike to Darnell Mooney. That was the drive where you just saw all the tools, like the running, the, the, the deep ball, and that it was it all came together, and it did. And that's why the low light was so low, because it was like you had this trajectory. You lost the game, but you felt good about a loss almost. It was, it was weird. Um, and then... It didn't turn out great. But in that moment, watching that game, it, it was exciting. It definitely was. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, we just hope to see more of that, to be completely honest, Mason. Um, for me, my best moment of the year, again, it, it does kind of align with what Will was saying, just being to cover games. But I guess I'll go the, the Las Vegas game, which happened to be, you know, Justin Fields' last win. <laughs> win oh, again, that's you know, crazy. That they had. 
which is nuts. Um, but for me, like personally, just being able to one cover my first away game, being in that stadium, and then just kind of doing like the work that I did afterwards. I wrote an art, like I appeared briefly on the podcast, kind of going through the tunnel there uh, at the the Raiders Stadium, writing a, an article, but also doing a video afterwards. So I guess uh, professionally, just kind of doing everything that you would do as a journalist. So that was my best moment, just covering the Bears, but. You know, it was kind of nice seeing the Bears kind of beat down the Giants and do it very convincingly, which is pretty nice, too. I know some people had that in there, but uh, definitely my best moment, just getting to cover the Bears, which, you know, it's been a long time coming. So that's that wraps us up. This, I think, is one of our longest podcasts, but there was a lot in here. Mason Talk GMs, head coaches, and, you know, the Bears award show that we, again, put off a little bit because there's some more important things that we need to get to, but. I think that just about wraps it up, Mason. Uh, Maybe we get out of here before any more news breaks and maybe we'll have to jump back on. Who knows? But, Mason, any final words before we head on out of here? No, I I guess the only thing I would say is remember the excitement when Justin was drafted. Remember the excitement when 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 Tevin Jenkins was drafted uh, in training camp, the moments throughout. Hold on to that because this year was destined to not have the pop we were looking for just because of the setup and, you know, be ready. Cause there's a really good chance that this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, that we hear some news, whether that be GM or head coach, uh, if not both, it's, it's, there's some whispers out there. Definitely some whispers. And we'll see if there's actual announcements that come from those whispers as cliff kind of put it here. Can't wait for the next show. When we hear who the bears have selected cliff, Man, I hope you're right because I'm just, again, we talked about that patience and not having much of it at the top of the show. It's still continuing when we're here at the end. But I really do appreciate everybody that tuned in live for everyone that will listen to this longer version of the podcast tomorrow on your way to work at the gym, wherever you listen to the podcast. We at the Chicago Audible really appreciate you guys. And, you know, there's going to be a lot happening in the offseason. So make sure you turn on that bell notification on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Facebook, obviously, you can follow Mason at West Sports PT on his Twitter handle. For me, at Nicholas Moriano. There's going to be a lot happening, you guys. So make sure you're tuned in and following all of us to make sure you're up to date with everything. But until next time, bear down, Chicago. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com